What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these indie hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. All right, I'm here with Ravi Mehta and Victoria Young, the founders of Scale Hire. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. I wanted to have you two on the show because, uh, from my perspective at least, there's been this like explosion in coaching the last few years. Like my girlfriend wants to be a life coach. Like all my startup friends have like business coaches. Like everyone's just like tuned in and like, I need a coach. And I think it's like the coolest thing ever because I don't know, maybe it's just like people in recent generations who are more in touch with their mental health. We're more in touch with the fact that like we all need help. And I think an increasing number of us are like very conscious about our careers and especially if indie hackers are conscious about the fact that they've quit their jobs <laughs> and now they're their own boss and they need some help. Yeah. And so uh, I think what you, you two are doing at Scale Hire is very awesome. It's like you're basically helping people find coaches. Can you, get, can you just describe to me like what Scale Hire is? So we started it about six months ago. Victoria and I met uh, about two years ago, right as I was leaving Tinder and Victoria was thinking about what she wanted to do next. Um, and for about a year and a half, we would catch up every once in a while, help each other with the writing we were doing, talk about some of the coaching that we were each doing. And uh, this recurring theme came up, which is that we just kept hearing from people that they don't feel like they have the support that they need to be really successful. And I think this was a problem for people. And you know, we weren't sure, is it really possible to solve this at a higher scale? Or is this really like a one-to-one relationship, which is more of a, more of a service industry? And we got inspired when we started to look at what was happening with apps like Peloton and Noom and Talkspace and Headspace and Calm and BetterHelp. There were all these examples in a person's personal life of ways in which companies were making it easier to get one-on-one guidance and support, whether it was around fitness or nutritional counseling or, or therapy. And so we started Scale with the goal of democratizing professional coaching and doing it specifically with a B2C sort of mindset. Yeah, I'm curious about like, Going back to the beginning of your story, Robbie, like the two of you met a couple of years ago. And like, I know that like between the two of you, you've worked at like some pretty like big brand name companies. You worked at Uber, Facebook, Netflix, you mentioned Tender. How do you go from like working at these big companies to wanting to start a startup? Like, what does that interaction look like between the two of you where you're having these meetings and you're catching up? Because I think a lot of people want to find a co founder and they want the confidence to like quit like the cushy job and go do something like, you know, adventurous and a little bit risky and rewarding. Like, how did, how did the two of you navigate that together? You know, entrepreneurship has been really glamorized uh, in the last, I think, five or so so years. Um, and so it sounds like something, you know, a lot of people want to do. But one thing I did before I jumped in was I spent a lot of time uh, looking at solopreneur communities, reading stuff on indie hackers, reading stuff on other in other areas, because I knew, like, especially in this early seed phase, it can be lonely. It can yeah. be really anxiety inducing. Um, it's just you and maybe another person and an idea and not a lot of money in the bank and not a lot of things going on. Um, and so I wanted to get close to it and figure out like, is this something that I'm ready to do as far as my next step? And the thing that kept me coming back was one, you know, the opportunity to work with Victoria and then two, the opportunity to work on a problem that I'm really passionate about solving and I think needs to be solved. So if you can work with people that you really enjoy working with day to day, if you can work on a problem that you're really passionate about, it makes that those early days, which are really anxiety inducing uh, a lot easier. Yeah. And Victoria, you have a recent tweet that 
true wealth is having freedom to live a life of your own design. And so I think that's like a lot of what goes into glamorizing entrepreneurship, right? It's this idea of freedom. You can do whatever you want, right? Like you don't really have a boss. You can, you can take the day off if it's a Wednesday if you want to, and it's kind of fine, right? But it's also like the parts that you said, Robbie. It's like scary. It's nerve-wracking. Oh, yeah. You kind of get paid well at these big, cushy companies. You know, you, you start your own company, and suddenly you're not. You're not. And so uh, I think having a partner like Ravi and Ravi having a partner like Victoria it makes it easier to take that leap um, for a lot of people. It's like, okay, it's not just me by myself, right? Like there's someone else. Like, it's kind of real. And I think, like, by comparison, for people like me who do it, like, on my own for the most part, it's kind of nice to have a coach. Like, I have, a, like, a series of, like, people who I consider to be, like, my coaches and, like, mentors. And it's almost like they're, like, my bosses in a way. Like, I, I call Ari, like, my podcast boss. She's, like, my podcast producer. Like, technically, she works for me. But, like, I kind of work for her. Like, she, like, she's, like, Cortland, I need this. I need this. I need this. And, like, I'm accountable to her. And she'll, like, listen to my episodes and tell me how to, like, do better, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, like, this is, like, a huge hack if you're going to like take the leap and be an entrepreneur to like have a coach. So I kind of want to start by talking to you too about like coaching. How would you define coaching and how would you differentiate it from something like management or leadership or, or therapy? Like what, is, what even is a coach? You know, coaching can feel very vague, especially if you've never experienced it before yourself. Right. And that's totally fair. The way I got to coaching was as I was moving up in my career, I was at Netflix and had an expanded scope of responsibilities. At the time, I was trying to navigate it entirely on my own. I was reading books like, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Like I was trying to really sharpen my skills. But when you're in that phase of moving from, you know, a smaller scope that's more IC to one that's more of leadership, you know, really being able to navigate the nuances of managing up, managing across, managing down, those types of challenges are not easily solved for just by reading a book, right? Because when you think about athletes, coaches really help athletes by reviewing and going over specific things they're doing each time they go out and practice. It's a very active, ongoing, collaborative relationship, right? There's a lot of engagement. There's a lot of feedback. Um, whereas, you know, reading books and stuff, they're filled with great ideas, but it's very passive. And when you try to apply it yourself, you don't get that full feedback loop. And so one of the women on my team, she used to do figure skating. And so for her, she really saw her manager as a coach where they would, you know, she would lead a meeting, her manager and her would like watch the playback, you know, in their minds and go over step-by-step step where she went, where she did well or where she didn't do as well. And for me, you know, I wasn't an athlete growing up that relationship didn't come naturally to me with my manager. It felt more like I had to just make sure I was performing well and I was always just trying to do my best, but I didn't see it as, you know, that kind of feedback loop that I could grow in. It's just a different type of relationship. And as a leader, you really, you know, need to be tuned in to other people. It's dynamic. And just because you did well yesterday doesn't mean you're going to do great tomorrow, right? And that's okay, but you need to have some sort of feedback loop to maintain high performance in an ongoing basis. And when I came across coaching, it just, you know, really transformed how I viewed myself and my performance and also gave me the tools, gave me the feedback loop to really improve in the areas that I needed more growth and support. And so coaching is very active. It's, it's different from, you know, talk therapy. Sometimes it's much more just about sharing your feelings, maybe going into the past, um, whereas coaching is much more about in the moment, kind of what can you take as learnings and how can you improve tomorrow? 
Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Like, I remember watching this movie as a kid. Um, I think it's called Angels in the Outfield. And there was, like, this baseball mm. team. And, like, these angels were, like, helping them. And this kid could, like, see the angels. And I always thought it was, like, so cool to, like, have, like, this idea of, like, this little invisible partner who's, like, going with you. You know, like, you're trying to do this, like, hard thing. And they're, like, helping you out. But, like, most people don't really have that. Uh, and so, like, with a coach, that's kind of, like, what you have, right? It's, like, it's not just you against the world. It's, like, you and somebody else against the world. And I think even, like, in, like, day-to-day life, like, Everybody does like a little bit of coaching. You might have to coach a partner through a tough, you know, conversation they have to have at work or with a family member. You may have to coach your friends. What's the difference between like a good coach and a bad coach? The thing that I think really good coaches do is they create a safe space. Like I, I think there's so many relationships that people have, especially when it comes to work that are pressurized in some way. Like you want to show up in a certain way to your boss um, or to your boss's boss. You have your team that's counting on you. Even if you have a mentor that um, you know has taken you under their wing, there's some pressure in that relationship in the sense that you want to impress the mentor. You want to make mm-hmm. that person feel like they've done a good thing by investing their time into right. you. If you're part of a peer group, there's some pressure in, I don't want to ask too much of the group without, without giving in return. And I think a good one-on-one coaching relationship is one where there's none of that. Like there's no pressure going in. It's all about what do you need in order to get support to overcome the challenge that's in front of you. And a really good coach will create that space. So you're not only comfortable with them, you're actually comfortable with yourself. Because I think a lot of people, because they never have that third-party perspective, they start to filter themselves internally as well as filter what they're saying to other people. And a good coach will say, you know, let's wipe all that away. Let's actually talk about the things. Let's have you say the things to yourself that you may not be comfortable saying because you just haven't had the space to say it. I like that point you made about like, when you're part of a group, whether it's like a class or anything, it's like there's just all these other variables to go into. It's like, I don't want to ask this question because I don't want to sound dumb. I don't want to waste everybody else's time. And you just like don't, it's not as effective. And even in uh, education, there's just, have you heard of uh, Bloom's Two Sigma problem? It's like this concept of uh, educational um, researcher in like the 70s or the 80s, like was doing like studies on education. And he found that like students who are tutored one to one perform like two standard deviations higher higher than students who like learn in traditional classrooms, which means like they're not, they're better than 98% of people, everything else being equal. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter anything. If you did like one-on-one tutoring, you are instantly better than 98% of people. And like, that's a huge difference. It's massive. And so coaching like kind of feels like, okay, it's capitalizing on that realization. It's like, how do you, how do you bring that to like everybody? Because like we live in a society where like, you know, most people don't have coaches. Most people can't afford one-on-one tutors. And so I guess that's kind of what the two of you are trying to solve with Scale Higher to some degree. Absolutely. I think the tutor example is a really good one. People grow up learning to learn in a very specific way. Um, You have people around you like teachers and teaching assistants and parents and, and tutors that are there to help you learn, help you practice, provide you with feedback, provide you with feedback in a personalized way. That even extends into college where you have TAs that you can go to. If you have really good professors, they're open. You also have like small groups that you're part of. And then all of a sudden you get your first job and that goes completely out of the window. There's nobody that you have that's similar except for your manager. And some managers are really good at being coaches and that's an incredible gift to have. But most are not. And now I think more than ever, like learning doesn't stop when you get into the workforce of anything. It um, just amplifies. There's more things, you know, things are changing really quickly. There's more skills that you've got to learn how to master. And the ability to get one-on-one feedback through an executive coach has just been inaccessible to people, both because they don't know how to find the right person, they they can't afford the right person. So a lot of what we want to do is change that. And 
I think one of the things that we're seeing is individuals are a lot more open to it. Like individuals are now open to talking about, you know, I had a conversation with my therapist. Here's what I was talking to them about. I had a conversation with my trainer. And so there's this desire, I think, especially amongst Gen Z to want to have those one-on-one relationships in their lives. And so I think it's a combination of there's a really interesting need. There's also a cultural shift that I think will will hopefully mean that that, those tutoring relationships, those one-on-one relationships that you have when you're younger can extend um, into a person's career. I'm smiling when you say that, you know, some managers are good and some managers are not the best coaches. I'm like, I'm exactly. a bad manager. <laughs> if I'm a manager, I'm not a great coach. Like, it's not a skill set that I have. Uh, what do you guys think about like the, like the efficacy of like coaching, like digitally versus in person? Because like, I mean, traditionally, you know, you would like meet a coach one-on-one, like in person, they would be able to like see your expressions, they could touch you, you could like peek over your shoulder. Nowadays, it's like everything's like done through apps or Zoom or, you know, like internet calls like this one, like. How does that impact coaching? Can you have as good of a relationship with a coach over the internet as you could in person? So I think that's the biggest question that we've been wrestling with over the last six months. That's a question that a lot of investors asked us. That's a question that we asked ourselves. Um, There's some really good signs that you can have as an effective relationship, if not more effective in a relationship by productizing coaching into a really good format. But what we needed to do is figure out, like, what does that format actually look like? And what are the important parts of that human to human relationship that you can't productize? And what are the parts where you can start to enable it or amplify it through a mobile experience? And so we started originally with the idea that a really interesting way to approach this problem is approach it like Talkspace. And Talkspace did a lot to innovate around text-based therapy, making therapy more accessible making it more real-time, making it more affordable. And so we, our initial prototype that we built entirely no-code was a text-based coaching platform where people could get matched with the coach and have that coach be available to them right. at any time to, to talk to. Um, and we found that our hypothesis around text-based coaching didn't work. Um, people didn't know what to talk about. People are not used to having a coach. Um, they might have some really good, interesting conversations, but then the conversation falls off. And so people that had had coaches before and sort of knew what that relationship was like, they would even churn. And so we knew relatively quickly within a few months that this didn't have the retention. It didn't have the value that we needed. So our second prototype was around creating these things that we're calling guided sprints, which are structured programs where each week you have some content that you go through, you have exercises that you go through, and then you talk to your coach about what you learned, how you're planning to put what you learned into practice. And you and the time that you spend with your coach is really focused on feedback and less on learning and less on practice. Um, and so it really amplifies the time that you get with the coach. And we found that that worked really nicely. And we were able to see some early signs of, of product market fit. Um, and that gave us the conviction to start investing and really taking that very rough no-code prototype and starting to build an MVP out of it. Yeah, if you think about the the metaphor we had before, which is around, you know, athletes and performance, right, especially in a digital like asynchronous environment, if there isn't material that you can both review and analyze and go through together, then it can become too unstructured. And you on top of that, you don't have the human connection. So you're missing two pieces of things, right? You're missing the human connection and you're missing the actual you know, piece of content to discuss. And so that was a huge breakthrough for us was just figuring out the right structure of having enough kind of meat to discuss with your coach in a way that, you know, progresses and deepens the relationship and building enough of that one-on-one connection that felt like, you know, there was true care in the relationship. Like that's one of our core values is care, right? Like if you don't 
care about the person on the other end, if you don't have a foundational relationship, then that makes the vulnerability difficult, that makes authenticity difficult, which blocks the whole purpose of coaching, which is getting to the root cause right. of a lot of challenges you're facing, right? Right. So I want to understand, like, it, it didn't work when it was just like texting back and forth. And part of why it didn't work, you're saying, is because people don't even know what to talk about. It's kind of like the coach has to be good, but like, as like the coachee, you got to like bring something to the table to even discuss. And if you've never had any coaching, it's like, I don't even know, like, what are we doing? You're just kind of like <laughs> texting someone, you don't really know what's going on. I like this idea that, that like the sort of the solution you hit on, which is like this, this guided courses type thing where you actually go through some content, you do something that like maybe the coach has assigned it to you. Um, and so now you both know about what was done. Cause like in any sports team, like of course the coach on your sports team knows like, okay, like, you know, you, you didn't hit well in last night's game. Let's work on that. But like with a business coach or an executive coach or a career coach or something, it's like, they don't know what's going on. And so then you reconvene after that and you talk to your coaches. It sounds like how it works. And that's awesome. Like that's something I wish I had for everything. You know, like, for example, if I'm like reading a book, you know, I might like read half of it and I have no one to talk to about it. Like, who do I talk to about this book? <laughs> right. right. But if I could like talk to the author for like an hour after every chapter I read, like I would learn way more about that book. But I think one of the challenges is like whenever anyone's selling any sort of like course or material, it's like what I found is it's really easy to just not do it. You know, I've like paid for courses yeah. and not taken them. You know, <laughs> uh -huh. I've bought lots of books and they're just like I see them on my bookshelf right now sitting there uh -huh. staring back at me unread. You know, so is that a challenge for like people who take uh, who go through scale higher? Like, how do you ensure that people actually do the coursework and have something to talk to the coach about? What's really nice is when you have someone one on one who is there to give you feedback, that adds a very clear uh, level of accountability. And so as a result, you've got a partner that's going with you. It's like being part right. of a book club, right? If you're part of a book club, you're more likely to right. actually finish the book because there's some accountability to the group. Um, and accountability to a coach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be the guy who's making it, making it up or saw the movie instead of uh, instead of yeah. reading the book. It's the same thing with coaching. Like you've you made this commitment to yourself, and uh, you have someone who's there for you, who's there to hold you accountable. You have a structured program that you're going through, so it's really clear. One of the things that we've done is rather than having these programs be really deep, where you're spending hours and hours going through content. The programs are really lightweight. You have, you know, maybe kind of 15 to 30 minutes of content that you're going through, maybe 15 to 15 to 20 minutes of exercises that you're doing. So about half an hour, 45 minutes to prep for your session that week with the coach. And then you get this really nice one-on-one -on -one personalized feedback. The other thing that I think is really important, important here is you have the expectation that, you know, either you're getting coaching via email or you're getting it via live sessions. And so you have something that is a stake in the ground each week um, that you're optimizing for that really encourages people to go through the programs. Um, one of the things with, with cohort-based courses versus on-demand courses, you got a much bigger completion rate with cohort-based courses because you're going through live with a group of people and there's some accountability there. Another thing I'd add to that is just like relevance, right? Like when I was at Netflix, we saw that it was so key to present the right content to the right person at the right time. And so even when you think about the books on your bookshelf, part of why you're not finishing them is most likely because they're not that critical to your life in this particular moment. They're like a nice to have, you know, maybe when you're curious and feeling ambitious, you'll read the whole thing. But otherwise, if you don't need it right now, then you may not ever get to it, right? And so part of what we want to do with scale is really be able to provide the right useful frameworks and mental models and coaching in the right moment for people where it's actually gonna be actionable and helpful. So much content isn't actionable in the moment. 
right? And so, you know, that's a huge reason people don't finish it. It's it's just not relevant enough. And so we are designing our guided sprints and our content to help people in the particular situation they're in at the moment to really take it to the next level. Yeah, that's so true. Because it's like most of the books, like the last three books that I finished that I got through, like, for example, I read The Cold Start Problem, which is all about like, figuring out network mm-hmm. effects with your company. And it's like, I read that book because I'm like trying to figure that out with indie hackers. It's like, right. this is solving like the exact problem that I have like right now. And like, it's going to immediately yeah. skip 50 other books that are on my like list of books to read that have been on there for years and become number one. Cause like, it's exactly what I need right now. And like when I look at your sort of guided sprints at scale higher, like they're very problem focused, right? Like level up as a product manager or reaching peak productivity or like the proven guide to getting promoted or how to manage a high performance team. Like these are problems. Like if you have the problem of like, you need to get promoted, like a buddy of mine works at Slack and he's like very frustrated that he's like stopped getting yeah. promoted, <laughs> right? Like that's like, okay, it's like, I need this right now and yeah. everything else can like fall to the weight. So I think this is top priority. So I like the fact that you've like modeled it after the problems that people have. That was another discovery during our initial phase of prototyping is a lot of coaching companies are solving the problem of I want to coach, but it turns out like people don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to coach. Yeah, it's not a real problem. Yeah. And so they wake up and say, I'm not getting promoted. Why am I not getting promoted? And so by taking more of a structured program oriented approach, we were able to say, let's actually help people with the specific problems that they have rather than help people just match with a coach without that, that structure and without that guide. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I just want to say, I saw this great quote on Twitter the other day, and it was, you know, you have a nail in your foot. You can practice mindfulness about the nail. You can go to therapy, talk about how bad the nail feels. You can gratitude journal about how other people have more (laughs) nails in their feet, right? Or you can take the nail out of your foot. And so what we want to do with scale is help people take the nail out of their foot. We want to go right to the root cause, address the actual obstacle and how they can overcome that specific obstacle. Um, And, you know, that is often the biggest anxiety reducer, right? Like, I've tried everything in the past when I was anxious, like I've done hypnotherapy, acupuncture, journaling, meditation, but if you're not addressing the core problem, if you're not taking that nail out of your foot, you know, you can only manage that anxiety to some extent, but the core problem is not being addressed. And so we need to help equip people with the skills to address those problems. Right. And I think this is like a a broader concept that's helpful for probably like all startup founders. Because like if you look at why people take action, at least like the way that I look at it is like every action that I've ever taken is because I wanted to like solve some problem or fulfill some like desire, right? I don't just like sit around and just have like ideas randomly pop into my head. Like I have a coffee that I've been drinking because I was walking down the street and I was like, I'm really thirsty and a little bit tired and it's cold. <laughs> and so it's like, all right, solution <laughs> to like those problems, like coffee, right? And every startup is kind of the same, right? Like no matter what startup like you build, if it's not solving a problem, it's like someone has that pain, now they're looking for solutions. It's going to be really hard for them to ever like find you. And so I want to talk about like how you guys come up with the idea for scale, because a lot of people get stuck at this step. They're like, okay, I want to, I want to do a startup vaguely, but like, what do I do? And I don't think everybody's necessarily driven to start by trying to like focus obsessively on a problem, but I can tell like the two of you are, right? Like the fact that you even had an idea and it didn't work out and then you pivoted to something else, like it didn't seem like it was that hard for you to pivot. Maybe it was, we'll get into that. But it's like, it seems like you're probably like focused on like a problem and the solution like comes second. You're not like, I'm gonna build this app and if it doesn't work out, you quit. You're like, I'm gonna solve this problem and there might be a hundred ways to solve it. So how did you come up with the idea for scale and how did you, I guess, pivot your way through different solutions to try to solve the problem that you're solving? I think a lot of it started with having conversations with with people. Um, one of the benefits of, 
um, you know, the time between when I, I left Tinder and started Scale was I was a executive in residence at Reforge. So I was helping a lot of people learn how to be better product managers and better product leaders. And so I got a chance to talk to literally hundreds of people and hear what they were struggling with. And inevitably, the thing that they weren't struggling with was, I don't understand this Reforge framework. I don't understand growth loops. People got that stuff. The The content at Reforge is, is really deep um, and went well articulated. The area where they struggled was, I don't know how to actually bring this thinking into my organization, or I don't know how to influence my boss to get more headcount for me to make more, more progress. Um, and so this pattern emerged as I was talking to people and then in talking to Victoria, she was seeing similar similar things through the coaching and conversations that she was having. And I think that's step one of finding a really interesting problem space is like, I think a lot of people try to do it within their own head. And if you just go and you talk to 100 people, like that's a lot of people. But if you just say, I want to talk to 100 people kind of about this, but also about other things that they're doing related to this, you'll start to suss out like whether or not there's a problem and, and what the shape of that problem looks like. And how do you assess like whether or not a problem was worth starting a business to solve because like there's so many things that people complain about people want to be like oh it's so hard to find a co-founder but, like i don't know that many businesses that successfully connect people to co-founders like for whatever reason not a great business or people say like a slack is so noisy you know it's just like it's distracting me constantly but like i don't know any successful businesses that are solving that problem for people so why like like how do you go from people who are complaining about this to like this is something that we should quit our jobs and you know work on full-time to like try to make a business that's going to make money you know, one of our principles is learning from other domains, right? We saw that across a lot of different areas, whether it was like Noom or Future and fitness and nutrition, like there was this model that was able to take kind of a content piece and a one-on-one -on -one coaching piece and combine it successfully. And learning from those domains, you know, really inspired us too, because the, the fundamental like problem solution that you're working with is very similar, right? And we're just applying it to right. work in a way that, you know, addresses the same types of problems that people are coming to Future and Noom with for nutrition and fitness. Um, and so we just need to then figure out the best experience for people who are trying to solve it for work. Right. It's kind of the cool thing about like the explosion of startups is that like a lot of it is very uncertain. Like, okay, I want to solve this problem, but like, how do I know this could work? And it's like, oh, it turns out that there's like 50 other companies that are doing kind of sort of <laughs> similar things. And like, they might have millions of users or they're making tons of money. And it's like, okay, that's like a little bit of proof that something similar can work. And I know like when I started Indie Hackers, like I had the same thing. Like I was on Hacker News and I'm like, do people want this content? And I could go see a bunch of people uploading comments and posts. And it's like, that is proof that people want this kind of content. Like, does that prove every part of my business can work? Not necessarily, but it's better than just like firing in the dark. So I really like the strategy of like looking at what's working for others and then saying, does that apply to the problem that I'm trying to solve? And if so, like, let's give it a shot, right? It doesn't always work out. Like talk therapy works or talk space works, sorry, but like your sort of text messaging based approach didn't work perfectly well for, for coaching, right? So there's going to be like some differences. And so I'm curious about that part too, because I think a lot of people start something and they have an idea and they get to where you two were where they're like okay we've got like the prototype out you know let's see how it goes you're super excited and then it doesn't work you know in your case i think what what happened like nobody was paying money for it we um so we did an initial prototype where we just made it free so we had people that were close in our circle and we said look you can get access to a coach via text messaging um victoria and i did some of the some of the coaching and we actually found it worked pretty well. Like people were going back and forth. There were some really interesting conversations. One of the things that was interesting to us was we had the question of whether or not people would be comfortable really sharing how they were feeling 
in text or whether or not people wouldn't have that same intimacy with text. Uh, and we found people were really willing to share very deep things about what was happening in their lives. Um, and so it actually was working pretty nicely. And we we took some of the quotes that we were getting, we put those in our, our pitch deck, and we, we were feeling pretty good about the direction. Um, but we wanted to get like a really early read on, is this something that people are willing to pay for, especially from a price point perspective? Um, what we were seeing, we were probably accounting for about an hour or two hours per month for each client that a coach was going to support. So the cost needed to be expensive. It needed to be like a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks a month in order to pay for the coaches, coaches time. Um, and so we added a membership at $200 a month for our early users, um, we found that some of our early users, many of them didn't want to actually convert from free to paid. We also found that there were some people that were willing to try it out. Um, so we had a set of people that were paying the monthly fee, but what they found was on like month one, it was okay. But on month two, if they didn't have a problem that they wanted to work through, um, they wanted to cancel or they wanted to churn. Um, and it turned out that when we added the ability to pay into the product or the the necessity to pay into the product, um, it put a lot of pressure on how much value are we delivering every right. single single month, um, even amongst users that had had coaching before and knew the value. Uh, and so that was a really good indicator for us that like, yeah, this could have worked as a free product, but can't work as a paid product. And there's right. some good products that are doing this as like a free kind of mentor service, but we really wanted to build a business around around coaching and, and make sure that we can invest and have it be something premium. And so that's when we decided to pivot. Yeah, I love that, like sort of charging money as a forcing function to like deliver value. Like if you open a lemonade stand and you're giving away lemonade for free, like lemonade doesn't have to be very good for people to take it. <laughs> They're like, whatever, it's free, right? You start charging like five bucks a glass and then it's like, Better be good lemonade. <laughs> Suddenly you have a lot of pressure to make the lemonade good because if it's not good, people are going to stop buying it and you're going to go out of business. So I like the idea of like charging from day one, which is super scary to do when you're just like a couple people and you have it, <laughs> you don't have a brand name, right? No one's like, you, have, you don't have product market fit. Like no one knows who you are and you're like, hey, come pay hundreds of dollars for our coaching services. And it's like, ah, it's a big ask. It's scary. It, it was a big ask and, you know, especially of like some of the people were in our network. So these were these were people who were friends. And so, you know, it was hard to ask them to start paying for a service they had been using for free. But the other thing that we found, which was really interesting, is there's a bit of a feedback loop, especially around coaching. Like if you pay for something, you treat it as being more valuable. Um, and so that increases the ca accountability and increases the desire for you to want to get um, a result from it. And so that helped us realize that uh, the text-based coaching wasn't working, but it also helped us realize that the guided sprints were working. When we charged people for those, we got good completion rates each week and and people really valued the feedback and they were accountable to actually completing the programs. Right. Yeah, there's gotta be a name for this effect where when you pay for something, like you, you like it more, you treat it more seriously. Like if I pay like $1,000 for each of the books on my bookshelves, you better believe I would have read <laughs> every one of them. Or I went to go see Hamilton with my, uh, my ex-girlfriend years ago when it was on Broadway. And like, I don't know, she just like splurged. She was pretty balling, so she had a lot of money. But she splurged and spent like thousands of dollars on these tickets. And like, I thought it was just okay. I liked it. But she was like, it was the best thing I've seen in my entire life. And it's like, of course you're going to say that if you spend thousands of dollars on the ticket. You don't want to seem like an idiot. He was like, I paid thousands of dollars and it sucked. So I like the idea of, uh, of like people taking it more seriously based on the fact that they actually paid for it. There's an interesting term. Um, I think it's called Velbin Goods, where... 
Uh, most goods, as the price increases, the demand actually goes down. But these goods are ones where, as the price increases, demand goes up. Um, mm. And so, like, Rolex watches fit into um, this category of goods where, as you raise the price, people want it more and people get right. more utility out of it. A Veblen good is a good for which demand increases as the price increases because of its, <laughs> its exclusive nature and appeal as a status symbol. So, yeah, that's exactly right. Seems like a good business to be in. That is not what we're building, though, <laughs> oh, to yeah. be clear. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's not but, you. <laughs> um, tangentially related to the ideas. There's, there's a, definitely a lot of cognitive biases at play when it comes to, you know, and, and psychological effects. I'm not sure exactly what that term is, but, you know, it, it, it does increase that upfront kind of commitment, right, which is what we are playing off of. But the, the value we deliver, I think that's another point to make when you think about, like, what actually is worth building a business around is – can you create enough value with whatever solution you're designing where you're delivering hopefully even more than what you're charging, right? Like the total value should be so compelling. That's when you know you have a real business. That's when you know you are actually building something that isn't just like a slight variation of like Slack's, you know, improvement to Slack's noisiness, right? You're really creating something where ongoing true value is being created and delivered and people are happy to pay because they're getting that value was anybody not happy like you two sort of charging okay let's do this differently let's let's actually put a price tag on this did you ever have any of like your early friends and customers like you know what <laughs> i want a refund this actually wasn't good yeah, we uh, especially with the text-based coaching, we had a number of people who said, look, I'm just not getting the value here. They, they were very nice about it, but they were like, you know, it's a lot to spend every month. What was interesting, though, is that they were they were getting like a lot of value in terms of the coaching and the amount of time that we were spending or coaches were spending. But um, there was a thing around like paying for it monthly. They didn't actually treat the value the same as if they had paid for a session. So a session with a coach might be $200, um, and that's like 45 minutes or an hour. Um, but if you charge a person a monthly subscription, that's $200, they value it at like $2,400 a year, $2,500 a year. So they think about the value very differently. So it was interesting as well, because we learned like the pricing model, in addition to actual cost, I think influenced how valuable people found it or didn't found it, find it. Whereas people were willing to pay, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars for cohort based courses, right? That was something that they could frame within their mind. Um, and so when we introduced that, the, the willingness to pay was high. The way in which they were thinking about the value was high. Right. Yeah. I love education like in general as a sort of market for doing like consumer-focused startups and businesses. Because a lot of people are like, oh, never start a startup selling to consumers. It's so hard. Consumers don't have money. But like one of the things that like people are proud, to, comfortable spending a lot of money on is education like or coaching. Right? Anything that like makes people Absolutely. better at their careers especially. Like they see, okay, you know, maybe I'm going to go – and to $40,000 of debt, right? But I'm gonna get way better jobs throughout my career so it's worth it. Like people are willing to pay an extreme amount of money because it's extremely helpful to get education or coaching. And so I think it's like a really good arena to be in because you can charge a lot out of the gate and you don't have to be afraid that it's not valuable to people because like they're willing to pay for it. Oh no, yeah, I was just gonna add that, you know, when you think about something like getting promoted, right? Like for $399, if you do a four week guided sprint, you yeah. can get promoted and get like a $30,000 raise or, you know, something that is really career changing for you. That value is for sure being delivered, right? In that that time spent and that investment. And so that's really, if we stay true to solving the problem and, and staying focused on, you know, helping people achieve their goals, that's that's where, you know, it makes a ton of sense where the value will automatically show up. Yeah, exactly. Because I think every business has like, 
kind of obvious levers where they're like, if we pay for like, you know, marketing or we pay for ads, we can make more money. So it's like worth paying for that. But like the average person, it's like harder to find like, what can I pay for in my life that will make me more money? Like if I buy this to-do right. list software, or like I become more effective, it's like kind of vague. It's like not, <laughs> I don't know, like maybe, but it's like, okay, like certain things like getting promoted, like your, your guided course for that, um, salary negotiation, right? If I pay a thousand dollars for someone to help me negotiate my salary and I up my salary by 20%, like that's easy money to justify. Uh, learning to code or like developing new skills are gonna like put you in like a new job that pays you more. Like these are just like easy things for people to justify paying for. So I'm like always bullish when people start education-based businesses. I think the things people are willing to pay for too is changing. It used to be like people were really willing to pay for products that were tangible and now people are willing to pay for experiences. They're willing to pay for advice and, and guidance. Right. And I think that's only gonna continue to, to change. Yeah. So where do you go from here? I mean, with scale higher, like ironically, it's like it's tough to scale because you do yeah. are like so like dependent on like this actual one-on-one -on -one connection with these coaches. Like to be huge, presumably you'll have to have like tens of thousands of coaches eventually at some day in the future. Which honestly, I think is pretty cool. Like I hope we live in a world, you know, ten years from now where like everybody has multiple coaches for different parts of their lives because everybody would just be better. Plus, like that's a lot of jobs for a lot of coaches, and coaching is a pretty cool job to have. How do you scale scale higher? Like how do you make it? bigger and more successful? And what even are your goals with a business like this? Yeah, it's a really good question. We spent a lot of time thinking about it in the fall based on everything that we had learned. Um, and we got a lot clearer about what the model looks like in terms of us scaling it. Um, and today we're building the product around a three-sided marketplace where you have members who are looking for advice. Um, you have program creators who are creating these sprints. And then you have coaches who are coaching people through the sprints. And we think there's a lot of cross-pollination between each parts of the parts of the market, um, including the members. Like there are people that are, you know, mid-level professionals today, um, but they want to start, you know, helping other people. And so they might actually want to become coaches, especially if they can take an off-the-shelf program and start coaching a person through that. Like if you're a, a GPM or a director at a well-known tech company and you want to start helping other PMs who are earlier in their career, um, but you don't know exactly what to cover, if you can come to scale and say, oh, I want to start coaching people through the leveling up as a PM guided sprint, um, that's a really nice way to get into a side hustle to start to help people do something that you're really proud of. And it creates this nice marketplace effect, a sort of cross-pollination between members, coaches, and then coaches, as they build up their practice, they may not need more clients. What they need to do is actually get more value from their time. And one of the ways they can get more value from their time is by creating programs. Um, and so part of what we're building right now is uh, a session builder that individual coaches can use to create their own programs. And then my next challenge is like, how do I become more productive? Those are all things where different coaches, different content um, could play a really important role. And we want scale to be a place where you can get all of that in one place and move from coach to coach and from topic to topic as you're leveling up. Yeah, it's interesting listening to that whole process. So, number one, you guys are playing on hard mode. Like two-sided marketplace, hard to do. <laughs> yeah, three-sided marketplace, you've like just dialed difficulty up to like expert level. Like, good luck. <laughs> but you're doing it. I mean, like if you're like, I think one of the coolest things about successful startups is that like they usually don't look the same uh, in the very beginning as they do later on, right? Like, one of the classic startup mistakes is to just say, "This is what I want to want to exist," and, and then you just immediately try to build it. And it's like, no, you don't like you don't have the scale. You don't have like all the pieces in place. You gotta kind of get there one step at a time. And so right now it's like might not be this fully automated three-sided marketplace. And that's probably for the best because you can't just start there. You have to like work your way there. 
there's all these like broader trends that like your story reminds me of too. Like, so for example, I've been just reading a lot about like capitalism and just like business the past like four or five years. And like, there's this effect called like the Matthew effect, which is like the rich get richer. And it's such an interesting like challenge because like going back to what we were saying earlier, like kind of the best business to start in terms of business model is like, you want to target customers who have money and you want to solve a problem that they find valuable enough to pay for, which ends up pretty much being that like, the best businesses target people who already have a lot of money, like kind of like rich people. And so like the best, like if you want to start a successful company, like you really want to like target people who have money. So in your case, that might be, you know, the proven guide to getting promoted. Like you're targeting people who are already highly paid tech employees and they might be making 200K a year and you're going to help them make 300K a year. And like, that's huge. And that's like what enables you to get your business off the ground. But then the challenge is like, you get this rich get richer effect where like all the best and coolest communities and products and services get targeted at people who are already kind of killing it, right? I totally hear you. And it's that kind of, you know, trend can feel really disheartening and overwhelming sometimes, especially when you think about like the top 1%. I would say, you know, one thing that we've observed in the people that we're serving is a lot of women and minorities are underserved, especially when it comes to coaching. So you know, there's a lot of kind of informal coaching that can happen um, often for white males, frankly, and for scale to be able to provide that nuanced additional layer of support and guidance for people who are underserved in the workplace environment helps bring that, you know, level of insight around, hey, how should I influence this executive on that other team over there, right? Like that kind of conversation does not always happen for women and for minorities who don't culturally like have that kind of insight. And so that's part of what we're tapping into with scale is like providing that layer of guidance and support for people who are underserved. And yes, like maybe they are already pretty successful in their careers, but they're still hitting that ceiling, right? When it comes to continuing to move upwards and succeed, it becomes much more about the, you know, emotional intelligence, the informal leadership, influence, all these areas that often you don't get that, you know, training in school, right? And you kind of need a mentor. You need that um, kind of insight into what might be the best way to deal with those more nuanced scenarios. There's also this, um, like on the flip side of things, like they're the coaches themselves. Because like being a coach is a job, right? And it's like a pretty cool job where like you get to set your own hours, you get to work with people, you get to like be helpful and have a direct impact and you get to charge a lot of money. Like it's a kind of like a really awesome, liberating job that I think more and more people are going to be able to do as there are more, I guess, platforms like yours. And like, you know, you have like the gig economy with like things like Uber and like Instacart or something where it's like everyone has these on-demand jobs, but they're like a little bit dehumanizing. You're, you're a little bit like of a, you don't really get to bring like your passion. Like my friend Lee Jen is really big on like the passion economy. And she's like, none of these are like passionate jobs. Like no one's passion is to like drive people around all day or shop for groceries. There's no individuality. And then you have like other jobs, like I'm going to be a YouTuber or I'm going to be like an influencer. And it's like, well, that's cool. And you get to bring your passion. But like, those are kind of like winner take all markets where like, you know, one YouTuber is captured like 80% of the market and the next person is like 20% of the market and everybody else is like competing for scraps. And then you have like these one-on-one jobs like coaching where like you can't be a one-on-one coach who takes 80% of the market. You know, like if you guys scale really big, it can't, there can't just be like one coach who just dominates all the, like it has to, like it has to necessarily create a ton of jobs for a ton of people because one coach can only handle so many people. So I, I like looking at this future that like you're probably helping to create where there's a lot of people who have this really cool job. And even though it doesn't scale like to a crazy amount per person, that's like actually better 
for the world because there's more people who can do it. And it's been really key for how we're thinking about building the product. A lot of the companies that are currently in the space around coaching, they sort of hide the coaches behind their product. And so you can't actually tell who's on the platform. Right. The, the people that are on the platform can't build an audience. They can't build a following. They can't figure out how to scale themselves. And so we think like a really important thing that's missing right now from the coaching space is the ability to have a creator oriented platform or a, a passion economy oriented platform that enables them to build their brand, build their audience, figure out how they want to grow, grow their business. All of that feels like it's missing today. And if we build this three-sided marketplace in the right way, we'll be able to provide that platform to coaches and, and help them grow their business based on the phase that they're currently at. Cool. It's kind of, if you don't go that way, you'll probably eventually be outcompeted by someone who does. Because if you're a coach choosing to join, like, do I want to join this platform where I'm like this faceless, like cog in the machine that no one gets to see and I have no individuality and no ability to grow? Or do I want to join this other one where like I can like be rewarded, you know, in proportion to like how much I put into it? And the obvious answer is like the second one. Well, that's super inspiring stuff. I'm going to follow your story to see where things go. And maybe I'll have a side gig as a coach at some point in the future. <laughs> uh, to close out here, what's, I would love to hear like one piece of advice that each of you has for, you know, the struggling uh, beginning entrepreneur who's listening to this podcast. It could be anything. It doesn't need to be like the most important piece of advice. Maybe something specific to you that has helped you that you think other sort of aspiring founders would, would benefit from hearing. I think one piece of advice that I've learned doing this and going from managing a big team to just, you know, me and Victoria in a room trying to figure this this out is being at that early stage, it's definitely challenging. There's definitely anxiety associated with it, but it's also an advantage. Like if you plan it out in the right way, you can move really quickly. If things change, if you get new information, you can change direction. Um, there's so many no-code tools now that you can right. build really fast. And so, you know, especially for people that are coming from a larger company and, and going indie for the first time, just reminding yourself every day that the phase that you're in is not like, it's not a disadvantage. It's actually an advantage. Like some of the constraints that you have give you the ability to work a lot faster, to be a lot more agile than the, the bigger players in the space. And just, you know, being grateful for that, being cognizant of the advantages there has been helpful for me. For me, as we think about like how do we want to approach this to make sure we're making the right decisions and not trying to scale, trying to spend, trying to hire before we're ready, because there's so much pressure. Both there's internal pressure, there's pressure from investors, there's pressure just from you know going on Twitter and seeing that someone raised hundred million dollars <laughs> and now has two hundred people at their company to actually grow. But you know when you're at this this stage, being small, being nimble is an incredible advantage, and it makes sense to try to take as much advantage of that as possible before you start to scale and you yeah. have more momentum and it becomes harder to actually turn the ship. I think that's such an interesting point. Yeah. And there's so much that's like tempting to copy from people who are ahead of you. Like you see like the, the big companies or the people who've raised more money or who like have more customers, like they're doing this. Like I want to feel all grown up and do that. And you don't realize that <laughs> that thing is actually worse than what you do as a startup. Yep. Like, for example, they have all these processes to scale the fact that like nobody at their company has like the time or it's not, you know, efficient for them to talk to customers one on one. And so they just like do this, like, you know, automated surveys and stuff like I should have automated surveys. And it's like, no, that's like way worse than you talking to customers one on one. And they're, they have to do that because they're so big that they can't do like the thing that's advantageous. And so like nine times out of 10, it's like a mistake to copy what you see people further ahead of you doing. Very cool. Well, Victoria, Robbie, thank you so much for coming on the Indie Hackers podcast and talking to me about your journey and your business. Thank you for having us. 
This was so much fun, Cortland. Thank you. And I would, I would love it if you tell uh, listeners where to go to find out more about what you're up to at Scale Higher. And I know each of you individually, like blogs and tweets and stuff. So where can people find out more about you? Yeah, you can go to uh, scalehire.com and we have uh, information about the guided sprints. We're currently taking applications. We have a wait list, but we're accepting people off of the wait list as we grow the programs and, and add more coaches to the platform. You can also find us on LinkedIn um, at Scale Hire. We're running live coaching sessions for people who want to get a taste of what coaching looks like to people who want to learn more about the coaches that we have at Scale right now. Um, so you can stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn. We're also on Twitter at scale underscore hire. Um, and then Ravi and myself are on Twitter as well. So you can find us at Ravi underscore Meta, M-E-H-T-A, and then Victoria H. Young, Y-O-U-N-G. All right. Thanks a lot, guys.